Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. It is a joy to be back uh, in this two-part series where Jesus commands us to come and he also commands us to go. So last week, as, we, as Wes already mentioned or others mentioned, we looked at Matthew 11, how, how Jesus graciously invites us to come. But today we're going to look at uh, Matthew 28 and focus and, and notice today how Jesus also, as he's inviting us to come, he, he commands us and empowers us to go. But as we begin to look at this, I wanted to share um, about a, a great year in my life. It was 1985. I think that was a great, it's a, it's a great year. I uh, was 11 year old. And uh, at that point, I was in, I just loved baseball. I, I really, I loved class. I loved life. I loved uh, specifically baseball cards. Uh, card collecting at that moment was at its, I would say it's all-time high. I really don't know if that's true. That's probably uh, an exaggeration, but it was a big thing. And I, I remember to this day the, uh, spending a quarter and getting 18 uh, baseball cards and loving it. I still have that collection thinking that the same thing I did back then, hey, this, this is going to bring, put my kids through college. Well, I still have that box of cards, and now my, the window of time is shrinking. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I'm still keeping them. I'm still hoping. But there was, I also loved getting a, an issue in the mail of, the, of Sports Illustrated. I was a Sports Illustrated subscriber, at least my family was. And, and um, I learned in 1985, it was the April edition, of this gentleman called Sid Finch. Now, Sid was remarkably, so apparently, just this incredible prospect for the New York Mets. Again, I loved baseball. Uh, I followed baseball. I was a big Cub fan at the time, and, so I, and a Dodger fan. I was aware of the Mets, but I never heard of this guy named Sid Finch. Well, on the front cover of the Sports Illustrated, there, was, uh, he, there he was. He was in uh, work boots. Uh, actually, one work boot was on, the other was beside him, and he was in a formation of, of a pitching formation, but it was, it, was in the, uh, like, it was not on the baseball field. It was like outside, and I think there was water around him, but it was just really odd. But there he was, a New York Mets prospect that they found. It was like a diamond in the rough. And not only that, the unique thing about Sid Finch, he could throw a fastball 168 miles an hour. And so the Mets were all over him. They had pictures of Sid Finch with his jersey, with other um, fans. Like I was a big uh, Dwight Gooden fan at the time. His rookie card was soaring. Well, there's Sid Finch standing behind or beside uh, Dwight Gooden. Big news. Well, for those of you who think 168 miles an hour, I wonder if I can do that. Just, just know this, that it is, I think, I, might, I think the fastest pitch ever clocked in Major League Baseball is 105, 105 miles an hour. Well, I took that information and I went to school and I was trying to share with other people about this guy named Sid. If they didn't receive the Sports Illustrated uh, magazine, they looked at me like I was crazy. But I did find a few people that got the magazine as well. And we started to tell that story. Well, a few days later, it was, it was well known that the Sports Illustrated put out an April Fool's joke. 
And the whole article was a hoax. And it was masterminded by the editors of the Sports Illustrated. And as far as I understand, matter of fact, you can look it up. It was a success. They had a lot of fun with that. And then I had to go to all my friends and say, just kidding. Uh, there was no Sid Finch. Somewhat disappointed, but again, um, glad to know that it was a hoax. The reason I share that story is because we can laugh at that. I, I do enjoy reading that article when I pull it up from time to time. We, we can laugh at that because we know it's a joke. It was all in fun. No one got hurt. But there is a lie. There is a deceptive story, a deceptive lie that has been going on since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a lie, but yet it is not just a, a funny joke, ha-ha, April Fool's. It is one that Satan is masterminding. He's deceiving countless thousands and thousands upon thousands, millions of people. That Jesus Christ did not, is not alive. That he is still in the grave. Matter of fact, that, that there is not a God. Life is really meaningless, so live like you want. That is the lie, and it's being believed. And this text this morning, what we are all familiar with, the Great Commission, it is embedded right after that, this satanic lie. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was, had risen, the high priest, the chief priest knew that. They got word that he was alive, and so they were nervous. They, they, they had to make a scheme, had to make some plot to try to put a lid over this truth that this man, Jesus, whom these, his disciples were followers of Jesus, this man, Jesus, was no longer in the grave, but yet he was, it was an empty tomb. He was alive. These, chief high, these high priests had to gather to come up with some story. And in, in chapter 28, just two or three verses before the text we're going to study today, chapter 28, verse 13, people got together and they said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him. We'll keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. It's a deliberate dissemination of false information in order to discredit Jesus Christ and at least discredit the disciples. Well, what did Christ do? This very moment, what was his plan? What was the sovereign plan of God to, to counter this lie and to speak the truth? That's what brings us to this text this morning. And what's even more engaged, this text is amazing because not only did this truth and Jesus Christ come to 11 disciples, we'll hear today that we also are given this same stra strategy, this same command that in the face of a demonic lie that we face, that the world faces day to day, we, you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been equipped and have been commanded to go and share the truth of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer this morning, that we all, myself as well as you, that we all are just challenged, ref renewed, refreshed, and delighted to take the gospel 
to the ends of the world. And we do that in a multiple, multitude of ways. So let's look at the, God's Word this morning. We will look at five things. We're going to look at five verses and five overarching themes of, from these verses. Number one is Jesus' subtle instruction. We'll see that in verse 16. We'll also look at, look at Jesus' mixed reception. Some worship, some doubted. Verse 18, we'll look at a sovereign dominion. We'll see Jesus' great commission in verses 19 and 20, and we'll end with Jesus' constant provision. All right, so first let's look at verse 16, Jesus' subtle instruction. This is already read, but let me just read it again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So this was a prearranged meeting. It was a prearranged location for Jesus to appear, for Jesus to reveal himself, and he had already worked it out with the disciples. Now this would, this would almost appear as if this was one of, those, one of those commands or one of those statements that may have been easily missed. Just meet at such and such a location location at such and such in time. How many times have you and I had some kind of meeting that we were asked to attend? Maybe we even planned the meeting. We planned the time, and, and if a couple weeks out, only to find out later on, a few hours after that meeting, that you totally forgot about that meeting. It happens all the time. And so here, It's striking that this one meeting would be the transmission of content that would transform lives for generations. And it was one simple meeting that Jesus had with his his disciples. Now, notice God was gracious because he shared this beforehand in verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So this was already worked out. The the question that we have is, how did they know that? How did that message that they were to meet in Galilee, how was it delivered? Where was the meeting set up? When was it set up? In Matthew 26, verse 32, again, this is one of those moments where it's really a subtle instruction. In verse 32, Jesus simply says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So this is a prophetic word from Jesus to the disciples. And the disciples are having a a hard time fully understanding the the prophecy that Jesus would die. But yet Jesus is gracious. He's beginning, he's he's setting this up and he says, listen, after I'm raised up, it's a, a remarkable right there. Jesus is already preparing the disciples. That's something that God's Word, the Old Testament, is going to, uh, to, to, be, to come, become true, and all these prophecies will be fulfilled. And yet the disciples are listening to this, and so they, they, get the, they get the instruction, they receive the instruction that I will go before you to Galilee. Now, God is gracious. That's not the only time that the disciples were told to be at a certain place. So notice also 
or let me just uh, share with you Matthew chapter 28. This is post-resurrection now. All right, the disciples aren't there, but you know who's at the tomb. It's the ladies. The women are at the tomb. They're at the empty tomb. And Jesus comes to the ladies, and actually, the ladies come to the tomb, and he's not there. And so in Matthew 28, verse 6 and 7, there's an angel. God sends an angel. Listen to what the angel says. He is not here. This is found in verses 6 and 7. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Notice the gentle invitation, that, but it's also a command that, Jesus, that is given to the angels. Come, come see where he lay. But notice this is what the angel said to the ladies. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So this meeting that was prearranged before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that the disciples would be there, the angel, the angel also shares with the women and, and, and tells the ladies, please go tell the disciples that, that uh, they need to be in Galilee. Well, aren't we all thankful? I mean, seriously, when we think about meetings, just think about how many times you have a meeting. Aren't you thankful for that daily on your smartphone, that, that subtle reminder, oh, I've got a meeting in 15 minutes. How many of you have ever had a meeting, and right before you just had that little indicator on your phone to remind you, you would have forgot that, about all, that meeting. You would have forgot, but then you pull yourself together, and you're ready as if you had been planning that for, you know, for hours, just waiting for that person to arrive. Jesus is gracious. He knows the disciples, and they need to be reminded. So he shares it with the women. But n notice one more thing. In Matthew 28, not only does the angels go to the ladies, in chapter 28, verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Again, this is a subtle instruction, but obedience to Christ in that what we would say the smallest commands that Jesus gives us, obedience to those small things are monumental for the glory of God. They bring us great joy. This one meeting, the result of this meeting would change lives. And brothers and sisters, let me just share with you, we are meeting today because the truth of what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. We're here today because of that. And so the disciples, they are reminded. They, they get the word to meet in Galilee. And so it's so helpful for us just to, to reflect and think about how many times Jesus invites us to come and meet with him through his word, through prayer, how many times that God it works in us and prompts us and convicts us to go just to share, to speak to this person about Jesus. May we be, by God's grace, be faithful and open and obedient to him. Jesus is available. Now, let me just bring out one more 
point in verse 16. There is a sobering uh, word here. In verse 16, notice how many disciples were there. Okay, we, so you've been around, if you've under, you know, read the New Testament, if you've been around church any length of time, you'll we'll all know, oh yes, there's 12 disciples. Jesus had 12, 12 disciples. Notice in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is very humbling and sobering for the fact we know there was one disciple that was not there. The one disciple, Judas, was not there. And again, the the world, the flesh, and the devil deceived Judas and so so drastically that he missed this meeting and he ultimately missed Jesus Christ. He never came to Jesus Christ. And, and when I see in verse 16, it's very sobering for us. It's like our lives matter. Our understanding of Christ matters. Coming to Christ matters. And just think about Judas for a moment. And I say, well, what about the, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil? How, okay, that sounds great, but why do you say that? Matthew 26, again, a couple of chapters before. I'll just read this. Matthew 26 Verse 14 says, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will, ge- what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. The influence of the world was enough for Judas at that moment to betray Jesus. But also, notice this, his own flesh. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So, so wait a second, Judas, here, if we read this, again, what about that one disciple that didn't make the meeting? If you read this verse alone, you might think, well, Judas, didn't he do what we're supposed to do? He recognized his sin, and he repented. Again, verse 3 says, he saw, he saw that Jesus was a king. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 of pieces of silver. And he went to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned. But listen, the reality of Judas, he was deceived in thinking that he can earn favor or earn forgiveness by himself, by simply just confessing to who? He he did not confess to Jesus Christ. He went to chief priests. He went to men. He went to people on a horizontal level and said, I'm sorry. Friends, this is the lie again of, you know, we've heard that, you know, Catholic Church going to a confessional will not atone for our sins. Just simply looking to your left and your right and saying, you know, I am sorry for this. I'm wrong. That doesn't cover our sin. Judas never went to Jesus Christ. And so the next verse is that sorrow led to his death. 
he took his life. It was overwhelming. Friends, remember Matthew 11. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. We will not find rest anywhere other than Jesus Christ. And lastly, the devil in John 13 says, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. Jesus said to him, whatever you do, do quickly. And so the reality of verse 16 is there were 11, but praise God that there were 11. That God was working in the lives of these 11 disciples. And the 11 disciples made this meeting. And notice the mixed reception in verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so now, so verse 17, we learn, all right, Jesus has appeared, has appeared to 11 disciples. And then the question is, well, who, who doubted? Who was it that doubted? There was a mixed reception. Some worshipped, some doubted. So was it the 11 disciples? Well, we know from Scripture that there were, Jesus appeared to many people, over 500 at one time. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says uh, that Jesus appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. So very possibly, this might have been a moment to where not only were the 11 disciples there, but there could have been uh, 500 plus people. So the doubt could have come from all, this, all those disciples at a large scale seeing Jesus. It's definitely plausible, biblically plausible. And that may even be the, the, the most likely opportunity for the 500 to have been there. But let's just focus in for a moment on those disciples. When, I, when we see verse 17, when they saw him, they, some worshipped, but, yet, but some doubted, it very well could have been the 11 disciples because even after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the 11 disciples, they still had a hard time believing. Mark 16, verse 14 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So Mark gives us some insight into the 11 disciples post-resurrection had a moment where they needed to be reminded, they needed to be encouraged, their faith needed to be strengthened. Luke also has an account where the 11 disciples doubted, and this is post-resurrection. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be to you, or peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought that they saw a spirit. And he said, why are you so troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So the truth of the matter is, it very possibly could have been some of the 11 disciples that doubted. But you know, when we look at that, I find that hopeful because what Christ does over and over and over again is he transforms our suspicion 
and gives us a resolved belief in Jesus Christ. He, Jesus can transform our doubt and give us faith. He can minister to, to us in that way. And remember, Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me because I am gentle. I'm lowly. Just, just as the father who had uh, his the, uh, demon-possessed son, that Jesus drove the, the demons out. Mark 9 says, the father says, I believe. He was speaking to Jesus. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. We can cry out to Christ and ask him again to help us. So please know there is, a very, there is an eternal difference between the unbelief that Judas had in verse 16 and the unbelief here in verse 17. The disciples, many of them worshiped God. Some of them did not believe. But yet God, at the end, as we look at the account in the Gospel of Acts, there are Acts. These same disciples had boldness and they were willing to die for their faith. And so just take courage that Jesus can strengthen our faith. So yes, it's sobering. Verse 16 is sobering, but verse 17 is hopeful. There's one more thing I want to point out in verse 17, that this is another moment where Jesus shows his deity. Verse 17, let's focus again on those who worshiped him. When they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped. Notice that Jesus did not rebuke their worship. You might think, well, of course not. Why would he rebuke their worship? Because worshiping anyone other than God is blasphemy. And so for the fact that Jesus received their worship, accepted their worship, again shows that Jesus Christ is God. So he receives their worship. Even an angel in Revelation uh, chapter 22, when John attempted to worship an angel, the angel said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And so Jesus receives worship because he is God. But notice verse 18. Jesus also shows that he is God by proclaiming his ultimate authority. Jesus' sovereign dominion. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the first words that Jesus gives to the disciples based on the Matthew, the account in Matthew. The very first words. Before he commands the disciples to go, at a moment when the disciples, we've already seen the disciples, they're coming to Jesus, some worship, some doubt. What does he do? He shares that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's going to equip and encourage his disciples based on the power that Jesus Christ has. Now notice the similarity. Remember, last week, we talked about the, the command of Jesus when he invites us to come. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. So in, in order for us to come to Jesus, we must believe that he has all authority. 
In order for us to go and be obedient, we must know that Jesus has all authority. And so Jesus shares with his disciples that he has all authority. He has the power to gather us, and he has the power to send us off and to scatter us for the name of Christ. He has the power over Satan, over demons. He has power over everything in heaven and on earth. This Jesus, this is who we worship. And he has power over death as he was showing his disciples there that he is alive. So the gospel message will advance and will advance rapidly. As we've shared about before, though, this, please don't misunderstand that God's power and authority in this sovereign reign is a catalyst for evangelism. It doesn't slow evangelism down. If, just uh, as we've already thanked the Lord, just yesterday we had, we had a gathering here where we were able to go out in the city, and, we, and we're praying for those. We know that you, wherever you went yesterday, we're believing and trusting that some of you, if not many of you, if all of us had some opportunity to speak of Christ, Notice, we can speak with confidence because we're speaking in the power of Jesus who has all power and all authority. And so here, here he's equipping his disciples. I'm about to command you, but before I command, before I say this, I want you to know you have all authority. One of the things I absolutely loved in school, it was a prized possession, it was, but it was in the form of a piece of paper. I, you... At Solomon Springs High School, one thing you, you did not want to, to uh, be accused of is truancy. All right, so some of you ain't like, what's truancy? Well, truancy, essentially in my definition, so I can say whatever, I'm, it's my definition. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time, where, being somewhere where you're not supposed to be. All right, we were, we were supposed to be in class. If we were seen anywhere else other than class, like in the hallways, we were truants. Well, there was one thing that gave you the freedom to really roam, or I mean, specifically go to point A to B outside of class, and it was this hall pass. And that hall pass was a prized possession. And so oftentimes I would, I mean, maybe some people would say scheme, I don't know, but somehow I just had access to that hall pass more often than maybe others, I don't know. But when I was walking the hall, and you can see, you know when you're about to be approached, and that joy of just pulling out that yellow, it was yellow, that yellow pass, hall pass. Oh, oh, Andy, okay, yeah, go ahead. So where are you going, Andy? I'm just going to get a water. Okay, okay, go ahead. But that hall pass, you had, you had power, as, as if you had authority for that moment. Again, it's just a fun example. It, really happened. I did take joy, but there is infinitely and eternally more joy to know that we serve a Christ as ultimate authority. We have, the, we have a divine, a heavenly commission to go anywhere and everywhere under the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is sharing that with his disciples. Again, he asserts his deity is that he has complete sovereignty. But notice the Great Commission, verses 19. So what are we doing? What are the disciples? What's this meeting all about? Verse 19, go, and therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That was the meeting. That was the mission. That the disciples would take this truth of Jesus Christ and advance it all over the globe throughout all throughout the centuries. These words have fueled us. They've, again, as I've already mentioned, they are why we're gathering now. They're why First Baptist has gathered since 1845. They're why we have the joy of sending people, why, why we just had the joy of, of commissioning two families, or going, we're getting ready to commission two families from this church at the end of this month to go across the globe and speak of Jesus Christ. We have that we know of two other families that are getting ready to do the same thing later, Lord willing, this year. It is why you and I, it's why we go to work. It's why we go to class. It's why we spend time in the playground, in the neighborhood. It's because Jesus has given us a commission. It is not only for Saturday morning from 10 to noon. Oh, I missed that. I missed that opportunity to be faithful. No, Jesus has commanded us all the time to go and share the name of Christ. And so he shares with the disciples, because of my authority, don't miss the therefore. Don't miss the fact that because I have all authority, I am now commanding you to go. It's because of God's authority that we go. And the key term, the key verb, the key work is make disciples. That's what our job description is in life, is to make disciples. Now, some of us teach math. Some of us perform surgeries. Some of us mow the lawn or mow grass. Some of us are faithful, and we're teaching our families in the home. Some of us are going out and, and doing incredible work on an eye. Some of us are, what they say, crunching numbers. But all of us are to be making disciples, and if we're not making disciples, we are not doing what Christ has called us to do. And so Matthew 28, he says, to go... Make disciples. Notice this. Teaching them to observe all things. We are, not only are we teaching them, teach, we're teaching to obey. And in fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says to the Roman, he says, in verse 5, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So as we spend time, as we go, as we make disciples, as we baptize, we are also teaching men and women to not only observe, understand that's more than just observing as we often think of it. Many of us, or all of us, at some point we observe the 4th of July last week, last Sunday. What does that mean? Well, we we thought about, we thank, we thank the Lord for the sacrifices that were made. We showed honor. You know, we just, just you remember it. But, the, but Christ has called us to teach so that others obey. We want to obey the Word of God, just like the disciples obeyed the command to meet Jesus 
on, near in Galilee on the mountain. We are called to teach and obey. The idea learned, you remember last week when Jesus commands us, invites us to come and learn from him? That very same truth is we are asking others to come and learn from Jesus. Learn from the Word of God. Let me focus one more thing on a baptism. We as a church body, every time we have the joy of baptizing as a church, we are by God's grace being faithful to the command and commission that God has given us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. And so yes, the individual, it's a joy for us to praise God for God calling that individual believer to faith in Jesus Christ. That, that person came to faith. We rejoice in that, but we also, as a church body, have the joy together of obeying the Great Commission as we see uh, baptisms here. That's the joy we have, the responsibility we have. And last Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yet again, Jesus Christ is very clear that He is God. There's one name. In, your ver in, in, in our English versions, it's very hard to see this. It's just name. But the name there, in, when you look at verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, that's singular. The name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the, or in the name of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. One, there is one name under heaven by which we are saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is proclaiming his deity yet again. But, but in closing, let me look at, let's look together at this last verse. And we'll look at Jesus' constant provision. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we were not there in Galilee. We weren't there at that resurrected, resurrection appearance. But the words that were said in that meeting, they are impactful for us today and it's it's through the power of god's word the holy spirit jesus is speaking to us today because when jesus says i'm with you even to the end of the age now he's bringing us in because the disciples have died but yet the message of christ continues and and now we are a part of that commission we're a part of that task of going out and sharing the gospel to all nations. And so the last uh, phrase, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's thank God for that. Not, not only are we going out with the power and the sovereignty of Christ, not only do we have that whole path, so to speak, that divine path that gives us authority to go anywhere, Jesus is with us. Now that is remarkable. And if you think about the Gospel of Matthew, think about the first time that, that Matthew, in his wisdom, and, and again, God's, God spoke to Matthew to record the Gospel, the very first introduction 
of who the Messiah was. Notice in Matthew 1.23, at the announcement that, G, that, that God would, be, would come in the flesh in the form of a baby, as a baby, Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Matthew begins, the first chapter begins with this monumental truth that God is with us. And Matthew ends, the very last statement is that I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we're going out in the authority of Christ, we're also going out knowing that Jesus is with us. And so Jesus does. He commands us to come, invites us to come. The disciples came to Jesus on that mountain in Galilee on that day. When they came, then Jesus said, go. And so wherever we are, I just want to encourage us all to come to Jesus. Come with your doubts, your discouragements, your overwhelm, just the things that you're overwhelmed with life. Come to him. Believe that Jesus can take that burden. Come to him. And once you receive the faith, once you realize that Jesus has covered your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, once you place your faith in Jesus and come to him, know that go, as you go, that's the greatest command, the greatest joy you'll have you'll ever have is is obeying Jesus Christ. And so go in the power of Christ, the sovereign power of Christ, and know that he is with us. So let's, let's thank the Lord for that, and let's pray that we would have the strength and the joy to go and share the message of Christ to the nations. Father, you just, you're so good. You are gentle, you are humble. And Father, we thank you that for the joy set before you, you endure the cross. Father, we thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us. We thank you for the command and the invitation to come to you. Lord, we recognize that we have nothing to bring. Nothing. Father, reveal to us those times in our life where we think more of ourselves, where we think that we are pleasing you by bringing our good works. Lord, I pray that you would free us up to come to you and just with open hands and just confess that you are God. Father, we thank you for the invitation. Lord, we also want to thank you for the command to go. And Lord, I ask that you would remind every one of us today, as soon as we leave this place, that the joy of obeying you is far greater than anything this world can offer us. And so we ask that you would remind us of your sovereignty and remind us that you are with us as we go and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.